Good Gab, sponsored by Skillskin, a nonprofit organization empowering individuals with disabilities through employment. Good Gabbers, what's happening? Another week, another great guest. You will not believe it. We're going to learn a whole lot more today about uh, Lutheran Community Services here in Spokane. Today we have the real pleasure to have Shelly Hahn, the District Director of Lutheran Community Services of the Northwest. Shelly, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So what's happening? Tell us more about your organization. Um, like I know just a little. I want to know more. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Lutheran Community Services is a tri-state organization. So we have offices in Oregon, Washington, and Idaho. Um, and each of those offices, while falling under the umbrella of the bigger organization, um, is provides services that are specific to the location that they're at. Okay. So each office has different programs. And specialties, um, if you will. Specialties, absolutely. So looking at the community that we're in, um, seeing what makes sense, and then growing those programs there. So, so there is some overlap. Um, so we have some foster care programs that are similar in two different areas, but it's only because it made sense to that local community um, to provide services like that there. Well, so what's our specialty here in Spokane? What are we good at? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> we're good at lots of things. I imagine so. Yeah, yeah. So we have, um, so we're located at 210 West Sprague, and it's a brick building. It's a historical building. It's beautiful. Um both inside and out, um, but especially inside. Oftentimes people walk inside and they're like, oh my gosh, I would have never guessed. That it was I, so I would not have guessed it either because I've, <laughs> yeah, I've driven by many times, but I've never been inside. Yeah, yeah. There's a big open atrium and it's very pretty in there, all wood flooring. Um, and so, and it's also, it looks little, um, but it's four stories. So we have a basement and it goes up um, three levels and all of the offices are staffed with folks who are helping the community in different ways. So um, in that building, we have three programs. One is our advocacy program, one is our clinical program, and then we have our child welfare program. So starting with advocacy, um, we're the community sexual assault provider. So we have advocates who meet um, survivors of sexual assault in the emergency room. As they present to the emergency room, our advocates meet with them. So um, like some of your employees, like advocates, they're getting calls yes. anytime and they're going to get in their car and they're going to go to the hospital. Yes, yes. Wow. And not only our advocates, we actually have a really big volunteer pool um, who goes pr through a comprehensive training and also takes on-call shifts to provide those services because there's enough need in the community that our advocates couldn't do it on their own. Um, so we're always so grateful for our volunteer advocates because it is not easy. It is not an easy thing to do. I can imagine. That sounds really emotional. Yes. Yes. Um, so that is one of the programs mm. in our advocacy um, department. We have crime victim services. So again, advocates who work with victims of crime to help with um, the legal pieces, the medical pieces, to help walk alongside people um, and navigate all of those larger systems that are so hard to navigate on your own, and sometimes even with an advocate. They're just big and complicated. Um, that program interfaces with human trafficking um, consortiums and committees, uh, also um, interfaces with the elderly population um, and abuses that happen there. So it Which is... is a unfortunate like it's a big need too 
it is. It we is. learned a lot. Uh, we've had a lot of guests here on this podcast and talking about the, you know, the homeless uh, population and the elderly mm-hmm. homeless population and just essentially how they're preyed upon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's just awful. Yes. So this is some of the work that you're doing and your organization's doing. Yes. Helping yep. them be a resource. Yes. Yes. Incredible. Yes. Often forgotten. Yeah. Very forgotten. Um, so those are some of the services that our advocacy program provides. We also have a sexual assault nurse examiner. So that is a nurse who is trained in trauma-informed um, exams for survivors of sexual assault. And so oftentimes she will also go into the um, go to the hospital with us or meet survivors at the hospital and, and provide those services um, because of her special training. Wow. And then the last thing in advocacy I should talk about is we have a courthouse facility dog. Um, and he's a black lab named okay. Walker. <laughs> What's up, Walker? Yes. <laughs> yes. he's. You can follow him on Instagram or Facebook if you want to. Um, but he is adorable. He has big floppy jowls huh. and he drools a lot. His handler, his name is Mark, and he always has a rag in his back pocket because Walker's <laughs> he's going to just get a picture ready. Yes. Oh. Yes. Kid ready. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so he, his job is um, to work with folks who are disclose, disclosing abuse or talking about hard things or sitting in forensic exec exams and providing comfort. Um, so he knows when to lean on people, when to provide pressure, um, and it's been particularly with kids. Uh, he's super, super effective. Wow. This is heavy work. <laughs> it's a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. You said you've been, uh, off camera. You're talking about the 10 years with the organization. Well, I, so I've been in my current position for about six months. I've actually worked for the organization for 18 years. 18 years. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, so you know, this inside, <laughs> this work inside and out. Yeah, some of it. I've always worked in the child welfare um, department, but I work closely with clinical. And then advocacy is the newest learning for me. I had kind of a um, an overview of the services, but now I'm I'm learning. I'm taking a deep dive and learning more and more all the time. What inspired you to step up and say, "I want to lead this organization"? Um, I I think probably the same things that kept me there for almost 20 years. Um, the work is amazing. It's super hard, but it's amazing. Um, and the thing that I think helped me stay was the leadership. Um, good leadership, the culture of the organization. And most of all, I was able to be a mom and a professional at the same time. So there's really nice balance, um, kind of work-life balance and respect for, for how important that is. We can't, we can't, have our employees working with families and helping them prioritize, helping the families prioritize their own families while we're not helping our employees prioritize their families. Right. Because that's really what we do is family work and um, all of those things. Well, that makes sense. I, I just imagine uh, your employees have to have some incredible boundaries uh, just to be able to step away. Yes. <sighs> Yes, we focus a lot on self-care, um, a lot of trainings about it. We provide a lot of Walker, who I talked about. Um, sometimes <clears throat> we'll have meeting times where people can just go and hang out with Walker. Um, it's interesting. Almost everyone that works there loves dogs, uh, which is just Really? Funny. That's a commonality? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. And if not dogs, ca- cats yeah. or some types of animals. Not everybody, but a, a, a high majority. There's a whole lot of caring individuals here. Yes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we do a lot of training. We try to um, 
you know, we have an open door policy so folks can come in at any time to talk to supervisors or peers to staff and debrief about whatever they just saw or heard or came from. Um, so it is a really, really supportive environment that way. How many people are on staff? Oh, that's a good question. You know, with COVID, it's vacillated quite a bit, um, but we're rebuilding now. And I would say we're probably around 70 to 75 people working out, out of that building in different capacities. This is a big organization. And I it just, I, I don't think I understood the scope and I imagine some of our listeners didn't either. So that translates for me is like, there is a big need in our community for yes. these supports and services. Absolutely. Our advocacy services um, have gone up over 50% since before COVID. And so pair that with the workforce shortage. Um, and you can just imagine the people who aren't getting services or their services are delayed uh, because we just don't have the people to, to meet their needs. 50% increase. That seems astronomical. Like what's happening in our community? Do you have any ideas around that or... Like, where, where does that need change? Oh. I would just get a little closer to the mic on that end because it has a noise gate, so when she gets too far, it cuts her audio. Oh, thanks, okay. Tony. Sorry, It's going to make us look good. <laughs> yeah, any insight on, on why the need's increasing, or is it just, yeah, what's happening? I, I mean, I have best guesses. I think that, um, so we work primarily with kids in our clinical and child welfare departments, and I think the, lo the loss of structure during COVID that school provides um, and safety for a lot of kids and also for a lot of kids, even the meeting of, of their basics, basic needs. Um, it, was, it was pretty interesting to see when school shut down, um, you know, they continued to do a lot of those things. They would deliver lunches right. to people at home and things like that. But still the impact was just so great. And then the social, you know, the social delays that occurred. Um, I myself have a daughter who was a freshman at the time of COVID. She's now going to be a senior. And just noticing the difference in how her class has gone through high school, there's a little bit of a delay um, in a lot of those social components. Because, totally. Yeah. Our daughters are the same age. Yeah. <laughs> so yes. I'm, I see exactly what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I think there's that. And then I think um, you know, that oftentimes manifests into different symptomology, increased anxiety, depression, um, is the isolation creates all of those things. Um, so we see an increase in mental health needs, um, and then, um, increase accessibility to drugs, I think. And some people turn to drugs to cope. Sure. So all of those things wound up into a big messy ball. And now something that we have to start to unwind as a community. Yes, yes. So you all have a big heavy lift. How do you partner or who do you partner with? Uh, it sounds like the schools are, are a group. Mm -hmm. Like who else are you partnering with to try to engage with people? Well, I, I, lots and lots of people. Mm -hmm. So it kind of depends on the program. Our advocacy department um, partners with the, the different police organizations in the area, um, prosecutors, a lot of the legal system um, folks. Uh, our clinical team, which is outpatient mental health services. So those are kids who are coming in once weekly to see a therapist um, to work on whatever's going on for them. Um, we part with them, we partner a lot with Frontier Behavioral Health, um, you know, PCCA, which is the hospital, um, mental health hospitalization for youth okay. in the community. 
um, and just all other providers who might be able to provide a service that we can't for whatever reason, whether it's capacity or they need a treatment protocol that we don't, we don't provide. Um, so we provide all evidence-based treatments um, so what that means is someone comes in and they have symptomology and then we match the treatment to that. And all of the treatments that we use are proven to work. So, so these are best practices yes. across the, the country. Yes. Yes. Um, and so my favorite one is PCIT, hmm. which is parent-child interaction therapy. And so that's working with parents and ki- younger kids. Um, like what age? Um, zero to five-ish. Okay. So mm-hmm. these developmental times. Yes, <laughs> yes, that early attachment, that those parenting skills, and that's really those are the focuses of that treatment. So we have two rooms um, down in our basement that have like a uh, one-sided mirror, and the parents after after some psychoeducation and learning about what what's going to be helpful to them in interacting with their kids, um, they go into these rooms and the, and the therapists sit on one side and coach the parents. They have a little bug in their ear okay. and coach them um, so they can experience some success in interaction with their kids and then um, provide homework assignments for practicing throughout the week. So I really love all of the early intervention pieces. Um, and it's one of the things that I hope to grow more in this position is early intervention services for younger kids. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but it feels like that is a place where we can really help maybe change a cycle or help these young people have lead maybe more successful lives as adults. Like if we are intervening early. Yes. So, okay. So that's true. Spot on. Yes. Yes. Well, how, how can people support, you know, yourself and, you know, Lutheran community services in this work? Because I... I feel dumb. Like, I can't believe I didn't know, like, the breath that you all are, are working on and just how important this work is. So how, how can our listeners, you know, connect and help? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think, like I spoke about in the advocacy department, um, you know, volunteer advocates, for that's going to, you know, take us a, a pretty good chunk of time. Um, but a lot of people really enjoy the work. They enjoy the learning yeah, um, let's walk through that a little bit. So I want to be an advocate. What what does that look like? What's the commitment? So you sign up for an advocate um, training, and we have them about twice a year. And we host them ourselves um, in, ter- in, our, in our office. And so it's about 30 to 40 hours of training to get up and running. And then you continue to staff and train with the advocates who are staff advocates, um, hear about cases, learn about interventions, that type of a thing. Um, and then you start to go on call. So you have an on-call phone um, and you have support, you have backup from a supervisor or a staff advocate through the entire process. And you don't go on call until you're ready. But then you start responding out to the hospital and helping to um, meet with survivors and provide them with resources and connections and information. What are some of the feedback that you get from the folks who are volunteering and helping in this work? Like, what's driving them? Um, I would say for some of them, it's personal experience, um, either of themselves or someone that they know or love. Um, Some of them are um, students who are trying to figure out if this is a career that they're interested in, the social services piece. Um, I think those are probably the two biggest populations. Makes sense. We're like, here, I'm, I'm here to help, and this is the way I'm going to do it. Yes. Yes. I love that. Yeah. 
How do people get involved with the kids? Um, the kids are a little trickier because of confidentiality pieces. Right. So um, in advocacy, there's not, there's not really an opportunity for that. In clinical, um, so outpatient mental health services, we have interns who are studying to become therapists um, that interface with the kids um, and mental health technicians as well. Um, but those are staff positions. Uh, so again, there's that confidentiality kind of holds that up a little bit. Um, but in our child welfare department, we have um, a unaccompanied refugee minor foster care program. What's that? <laughs> <laughs> so this program's been running for about six years. Um, and those are kids from Central America and from overseas who have the legal status of unaccompanied refugee minor. We so, just learned about that from World Relief. So. Yes, yes. Okay. We interface with them um, some on that program through that program because we're serving similar populations but different um, because we're serving kids and they're serving adults. Sure. Um, so, yeah, so we're, we're placing kids from Central America. Oftentimes those kids have crossed the border and have been in some type of a shelter before they come to us. Um, but the kids that we place from overseas um, are generally coming directly from refugee camps. And so the way that the kids get this legal status is they go through some assessment assessments um, and it's and it's found that they don't have someone to care for them right. in their country of origin or wherever they've sought asylum or refuge. Um, and so they're put into this process. There's lots of, there's medical exams, there's psychological exams, there's all kinds, there's a, I think there's a five-step process. Um, and then they and then they go into the resettlement status. And so they don't get to choose the country that they want to go to. That's chosen for them. Um, and then we work with Lutheran Immigration and Refugee Services, which is a national organization, um, and the Office of Refugee Resettlement for those referrals. So these kids go through all of that trauma. It's actually called the um, triple trauma paradigm because they have the trauma of whatever made them flee their country. Right the trauma in the refugee camp or kind of that interim placement, and then the trauma of settling into a new place. Yeah, a whole new culture. Maybe you don't know the language. Yes, a lot. A lot. Are so, people having success? Like having those kids, are yes. they successful when they get here? Yes, so successful. Yeah. I mean, for sure it takes a little bit of time for them to settle in. Um, they're all under the age of 18, and we place them into either independent living group homes um, or we place them into foster homes that we license and certify. Um, so it's a pretty small program. We've generally got about 30 kids that we're um, caring for. Let me say small. It seems like a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. Yeah. yeah. In comparison to our Seattle program, um, which has at times uh, oh, uh, about 100 kids, but it's also a much larger community. Sure. Um, so that is the population I think where we have, we do have some option for interface with the kids. Um, we do a lot of independent living work with them, teaching them to become independent once they leave our program. Um, and so we have people come in and do uh, different types of, um, I can't think of the word I want, uh, meetings. So they come in and they teach them skills. So sure. we've had people from banks come in and teach budgeting um, and that type of a thing. And then we also, those kids want to drive. Um, I bet they do. <laughs> yeah. In America, let's drive. <laughs> yes. Um, but getting Especially those... in Spokane, our, you know, our bus system's great, but it's still, this is a, a car city. Yes. Yeah. 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 
And so um, it's a big ask, I know, but there's always a request for people who are willing to let kids get their driving hours, you know, volunteer their car. There was th these kids are amazingly mm. resilient and amazingly responsible because they've had to be. Um, so they they look di they look different. Their behavior, their the things they know how to do, most of them looks different than what we would see from sometimes a youth who's been raised in the community their entire life. Sure. Um, I know there's listeners right now who are thinking, they're like, oh, I can just teach someone to drive. All right, I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah or, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? That's terrifying. <laughs> so yeah, there's um, some things there. We, we're going to have a school supply drive coming up um, for kids in that program. And then we have two intensive behavioral health programs under our child welfare programming. And that's wraparound with intensive services. So those are families, serves families who need more than that weekly outpatient therapy, but less than hospitalization. So they need something in the middle. Yep. And that's what the, that program is. Um, and so we serve 20 families at a time in that program. And they have a care coordinator, they have a therapist, and they have a peer support person. So that is a super fun, um, super fun thing for families and for us too, to have peer supports who are people who have lived experience. So they've, they've had similar experiences to the clients that we match them with. Um, and so they have some, uh, you know, they can talk about what it was like for them. And then we have a focus yeah. program, which is hospital diversion. Okay. What's um, that? So that's a 30 day program for kids who are at imminent risk of going into mental health hospitalization, which means they're actively wanting to hurt themselves or someone else. And so it's an intensive program where we have a therapist and a behavioral support person go in and support the family. And the thing I love about that program is one, we're super successful at diverting um, kids when? from the hospital. Yes. And secondly, once kids have been hospitalized once, the likelihood of them being hospitalized again goes up astronomically. So if we can thwart those first hospitalizations. You're um, really uh, getting in front of things for them. Yeah. And it maybe help changing those lives. Yes. Wow. Yes. So I kind of got off track, um, but so, so it's easy. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe, you know, how many different things, you know, Lutheran community services is doing. Yes. Does that kind of translate across the country or, or just in our region that we have, you know, such a diverse amount of work that we're doing? Yeah, that's an interesting question. It, um, yeah, it just depends on the office. I think that ours is probably one of the most diverse around the services that we provide. Um, but we, do, we have a program, it's the Greater Puget Sound, and they have more offices, right? Because it's a big sure, geographical lots area. lots of people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so they're pretty diverse, too. And then we have some that do um, sub substance use disorders and, and mental health primarily. So they, we all have multiple things that we do, um, but maybe not as many like small nuances and detail that I'm talking about. How do you fund all this? Also a tricky and complicated <laughs> question. Um, so a lot of only our... from another nonprofit, you know, to to another nonprofit. It's like we Always... know all these programs take a lot of money. Yes, yes, yeah. That is a really great question. So we have contracts. Um, a lot of them are state and federal contracts. Um, and then our advocacy program in specific has tons of like little grants. Um, that they've applied for and have to apply for over and over again. At one point, I think there were 16 different funding streams into that program. Wow. Yeah, yeah. That is a lot of stuff to keep track of. Yes, yeah. it is. It is. So you have um, a whole team then uh, for grants and, and 
yes. development. Yes. Yeah. That is one nice thing about being the larger organization is we do have a grants writing team and we have an advancement team. So our advancement team, um, you know, works on uh, different events. We have chocolate and champagne, which is an event in the spring, which is a fundraiser. It's the big, it's a, is that your big event? Yes. Yeah. Yes, it is. It's a formal dinner and um, presentation. Super fun. And then we have Eight Lakes Leg Aches, which just happened last, uh, the 15th, which is a bike ride, fundraise, fundraising bike ride. Um, so lots of different streams coming into all of those programs to keep them up and running. Um, don donors, we have we have a really nice, solid group of donors. Um, you know, lots of people donate to us a, a monthly amount um, because they become invested in the programs in oh, one yeah. way or another. So I can imagine it's like this is this mission you want to be a part of. Yes. And the Lutheran yeah. Church, while we're not a faith based organization, the Lutheran Church provides us a significant amount of support in multiple ways. Um, so that's also really helpful. So not only dollars, but maybe volunteers and opening mm -hmm. doors. OK. Yeah. Love yeah. it. Yeah. All right. Well, tell us about the big event, because I, I saw that this year, um, you know, on social media and things like that. Mm -hmm. And it looked fun. Yes. Um, you know, who doesn't like chocolate and some <laughs> champagne? But um, what does that look like? So it's looked different over the years. Um, it was at the Davenport for a couple of years. And this year was our first year at the convention center. And it was a beautiful setting. We looked over the river. Um, I can't remember the name of the room, um, but anyway, it was it was a great setting. up above the river there. It I was. Think it I was know ground. What you're talking about. It was ground floor. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so we had a little VIP um, reception out on the kind of patio out there, which was beautiful. Um, and there's tons of silent auctions, and then there's also live auctions. Um, so folks come and they walk through the silent auctions and then, um, they go in and have their dinner and watch the live auction. And for dessert, there's chocolate, chocolatiers all around kind of the, um, you know, the outside yeah. of the eating area. And so you can go back as many times as you want and you get to vote. So it encourages you. You don't feel shameful when you've eaten your six yeah, peanut butter Yeah, we're just voting. Cup. Come yeah, on. I'm trying to figure out which one I like best. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's a great event. It, it's actually focused primarily on our advocacy services. So this year we highlighted our, something I didn't mention, which is our campus sexual assault services. So our program is on multiple campuses throughout the um, throughout the area to provide sexual assault services for kids um, who are wanting to come in and talk about something that's happened to them. And well, I know that seems to continue to be a gigantic need. I've read that for the last twenty years. Yes. And are, strange question, but like this is your world. Are we seeing the need increase or decrease over time? As as I don't know. I'll just leave it right there. Mm -hmm. uh, around campus sexual yes. assault. Um, I, I don't. I mean, I would have to look at the numbers huh. to know exactly. But what what I think is we're seeing a little bit of a decrease, only because we have people on campus um, or working for the campuses, educating, educating folks. There's so much more education out there, um, for sure. Thank goodness, because it's just insane to me. I'm like. How can this how can this be a thing? Yeah, yeah, and for sure it is still a problem. I think you know, um, even if you have that education, when you have people going to parties right. and 
drinking or doing whatever, then their judgment gets skewed. So for sure, those things still happen a fair amount, enough that we have advocates on multiple campuses. <laughs> so, um, well, awesome to have that support. Yes. And that comes right out of Spokane too. Yes. Are you on all the, all the universities? Um, we are on at Gonzaga Eastern, and then we're just starting to interface with Whitworth. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that is a, that is a great program. I think about my own kids and if something were to happen to them on campus, and especially if they're going away to school, um, having someone safe to talk to who has, has heard this type of thing yeah. before because sometimes that's the hardest part for someone who who's a survivor is they tell their story and the response to that is negative or isn't helpful and so um, that can be more damaging i imagine yeah yeah and i think about my daughter and you know her she's about to go out off to college and like would i be someone that she could talk to could i respond well you think i would, could be but i'm not trained yeah yeah Yeah. to have those resources Mm -hmm. yeah dang shelly that makes me think (laughs) (laughs) yeah there is yes it's a it is a lot of stuff but a lot of really good stuff um i i i really think um you know i started as a therapist yeah Uh, like how did you get into this world (laughs) like you've been how long you been in spokane I've been in Spokane um, just about 20 years. Okay. So Mm -hmm. you're here. You got into uh, your work pretty uh, early then. Yeah. Yeah. I I grew up in Missoula, Montana, and I studied psychology there. And then my husband and I moved to Oregon, and I got my master's in marriage and family therapy and counseling psychology at the University of Oregon. Um, And even when I was working on my bachelor's, I was working in group homes. I was just always really interested in um, helping kids, really. And so, I so you've been that. in the social services world for a, a long, long time. time. Yeah. yeah, a long time. So um, then, yeah, how how did you get to Spokane then? Uh, my husband was working for the Oregon State Police and got laid off, um, and so Washington was picking up a lot of those officers because they had good training, and we our family was still in Montana. Um, so, so you're getting closer. Yes, <laughs> yes. So that's how we ended up here. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been it's been a great place for us to land. Yeah, what about this community? Uh, do you really appreciate since you've been here for so long? Mm. Um, lots of things. Uh, I I think I appreciate the diversity in services and the social service sector. Um, I think that the the different agencies and organizations work well together. And do have a real interest in um, in the clients, and so I do feel like, um, you know, even when people have different perspectives or different ideas about the what best approach to something, I feel like this community is really solid in going back to saying what is best for the clients, um, which is key to good social service. So I appreciate that. Um, I I appreciate. Uh, you know, the events, I appreciate the parks, I all of those pieces, which people need to live kind of a whole life. Yeah. As well as like the skiing, all of those things that are close by so that people who are struggling with mental health or need to get out and, and, and recreate, get out of their heads. I think Spokane has great opportunities for that. Um, so that's fun. I think there's, you know, I love the cultural components, the plays, um, all the different fair, or, you know, parks and fairs. Um, I just think there's a lot here for people to enjoy. 
It really is. I know. It's an awesome place. I love being here myself. And yeah. it's nice to hear from your perspective that our, and I, it's been my experience too, that people that are in the services world, um, social services are working together and it's all about clients. It's all about the people. Mm-hmm. Spokane does big things, right? So why wouldn't we do big things in the service world? Yes. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, they're big systems and big systems are get confusing and they so what's unfortunate is that I think there are times that it might not feel like that or it feels like things are really hard to navigate. Um, and so that's why not only Lutheran but other social service organizations have what are called like care coordinators or navigators because we recognize that those systems are hard to get through. Um, and so we kind of put someone on your side to help you walk through it and, or, or at least educate you about, yeah. okay, here you can go this way, here you can go that way. What do you choose? But at least folks know the options that they have. Well, how awesome is that? Yeah, have opportunity for choice. And yes. you have someone walking along with you as close or as far as you need. Yes, yeah. Incredible. What are some things on the horizon right now that you're real excited about for, you know, your organization? Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, we're renewing a lot of our existing contracts and adding some components to those, um, which helps me feel excited because we're solid and we're steeped in the work that we do. And then I feel like our contractors are seeing the good work that we do and value our partnership. So there are additional components that are being added. So yeah, good outcomes. People are saying, yeah, let's do more. Yes. All right. Yes. Congrats. (laughs) Thank you. Um, The organization, I talked about how we're specific to our locale, but also there are some shared programs. I think we're doing a better job of streamlining those so that if there's a community that we're in that it's like, oh, hey, it makes sense to put these services in this community, um, we're working together so that we're, I'm, each community, each program is going to have a nuance so that it matches the community that it's in. But at least we have a template and we have someone who's done kind of those, you know, the stand up pieces to get that program up and running to help us through through those steps. Um and like I said, I, I think in the Spokane office, I'm really interested in looking at some early, uh, some additional early yeah. intervention pieces. So a lot of our programs um, are are on the on the other end, kind of the middle or the other end right now. Not all of them, but a lot of them. And I, I just think there's a great need, like you said, catching things earlier. And I also think that um, it would be beneficial for our employees to see like to see we're we're interfacing here too yep, more we're making or just more of an much. impact we're growing yeah yeah i don't know if you've met her uh brianna moth uh <laughs> she i know she's volunteering um in your organization she's our hr business partner so oh. she's on one of uh, a committee uh, a volunteer committee for you but she's talked about the work um that that she's done just as a volunteer and how impactful it's been for her mm-hmm. and brought that back to our organization and, and just how supportive she is. And I just, I don't know, you're doing amazing things. Thank you. Yep. Thank you. I appreciate hearing that. Yeah, well, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, is there anything else uh, that we can do, you know, as a good gabbers, think about this. How can you get involved? Get on this website. Um, look at, you know, Lutheran Community Services 
and reach out to Shelly. I know she can plug you in. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You know, it's just like the the work that we do with each of our clients. There's there are things people are interested in doing, um, and so we try to make a match to that um, as best as we can. Well, thank you for joining us today. Yeah. You've got all my personal support, and just thank yeah, you. thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you.